Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to SFP Now. Welcome to another episode of SFP Now. Uh, our interview today is with the fantastic comic book writer Daniel Corey, who will be talking about his new Moriarty one-shot, which is due out soon. Um, but joining me, as always, for the uh, for the discussion segment of the show is Raisa. How you doing? I'm doing fine, thanks. Uh, I'm good. I mean, we've got we've actually got some new shows coming up in in the Flash. Arrow, uh, Legends of Tomorrow, and now we've, got, now we've got Supergirl and Flash the Musical. Yes, and which is going to be, which is actually apparently going to be separate from the main crossover with all four. So they're going to be like two big crossovers. Yeah, but a musical. <laughs> yes, well, I'm actually looking forward to it. And there's there's scuttlebutt that they're going to introduce uh, the character in live action of uh, the Music Meister who was voiced by Neil Patrick Harris. Interesting story there. The Music Meister was created for Neil Patrick Harris after he made such a splash in uh, Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. Mm -hmm. DC looked at that and thought, that is awesome. And they literally called him up and they said, you want to come play a a singing supervillain for us? And he's like, sure. And so they took an episode of what was then their current animated Batman iteration, uh, Batman Brave and the Bold, which was a Batman team-up show where he you know, teamed up with various other DC characters each episode. And they did a 22-minute musical starring uh, Neil Patrick Harris as an original character called the Music Meister. And it was really a 22-minute musical. They did it structurally with a, with a triangle, you know, and, and all, the, all the musical tropes and the commercial breaks happened at, you know, at the equivalent of act breaks in the musical. And they really put effort into it. And the scuttlebutt is that they're going to, to ask uh, Neil Patrick Harris to reprise the role that was written for him for that episode in live action for the two-parter Flash Supergirl thing. That's just a rumor. Cool. So. Yeah, you know, Neil, Neil Patrick Harris is, you know, I, I, I kind of like him in most, I even liked him in the Smurfs. Mm, yeah, no, he's, he's one of those guys that just quietly delivers whatever you need him to do. Yeah, yeah. And, and the Smurfs was actually considered by many to be a terrible movie. I thought it was pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I kind of liked it. Mm. I thought, you know, um, you know, I won't say I liked it better than the uh, better than the cartoons that they did back in the eighties, but it was fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, but you know, Neil is also funny in the the Harold and Kumar movies where he's playing himself. Mm, yeah, he's, you know, he's playing sort of like a uh, a caricature of him, of himself. Neil Patrick Harris, the actor and performer in in those films. Oh wow! Okay. So, 
you know, he's just a he's just a great guy. I, I just so I'm like whenever I see him on 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 TV, I I'll usually watch what he's got what he's doing, whether it's on like uh, something serious or something just fun. Ah, uh, yeah. So you know. Um, so yeah, if if that if that works out to be true, it'd be cool to see him in in in, in the um, in the Flash or, or Supergirl. Yeah, what's what's interesting is that his power, in order to justify the animated musical, they made his superpower the ability to just make people sing. They just burst into song. Just, he's just like he's a he's a he's literally uh, an, an evil musical stager through telepathy, basically. Yeah. And so they, if they if they did that, they could pull it off. What's really scary is that more of the CW superhero show actors than not actually have musical backgrounds. Does which it surprise is, me? Yeah, which is which is why they which is why they can justify this at all. It's because the internal logic, the meta logic, is there. Uh, fans, because they know so many of them have musical backgrounds, mm-hmm. have been clamoring for a musical episode. Because they know these people can actually do that. I mean, Grant, 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 is it Grant, is it Grant Gustin or? or? Grant, Grant, Grant Gustin was on Glee. Um, Melissa Benoist, who plays Supergirl, was on Glee. Um, Jesse L. Martin is a Broadway vet. He plays, um, he plays uh, Joe West. Um, on Flash, yeah. On Flash. Carlos Valdez, who plays uh, Cisco Ramon, is also a musical vet. Um, frighteningly enough, both Victor Garber and Arthur Darbell over on Legends are musical vets. Victor Garber is a musical vet on, for uh, long standing. He actually originated the role of the uh, of the ingenue boyfriend in um, in uh, in the uh, original production of uh, Sweeney Todd, opposite Angela Lansbury, who cool. originated the role of Mrs. Lovett. Sweeney uh, Todd the barber. I, I was yes. actually uh, back when I was in. Uh... Back when I did performing arts back in the 90s when I was in stage school, I, I, was, a, I was actually in a musical production of Sweeney Todd the Barber. Wow, cool. Yeah, I, I actually played the uh, the character that created Sweeney Todd's uh, chair. And ah. in my scene, which is quite a long scene, um, I, I'm trying to get my money off Sweeney Todd, but he soon polishes me off. Yeah, Only, f- that. only mm-hmm. for me to be suddenly revealed as a... As a Quite naively at the end of the at the end of the play, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, so like I, I did, I, I did that, and um, I, I actually did quite a few musicals, you know, back when 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 they did stage acting and stuff like that. But I'm not going to sing for you. So you say. <laughs> What's interesting about The Flash, uh, in addition to the musical episode, is that um, the Flashpoint storyline, which they're going to do this season, the actual Flashpoint event is only going to last for the first two episodes. After that, they're just going to be dealing with the repercussions of it. They're going to be introducing um, <clears throat> Savitar, who they thought they cast as Todd Lassance from, um, uh, from Spartacus. He played uh, Caesar on Spartacus. Cool. And... Um, but it's not him. They haven't cast Savitar yet. They've cast Todd Lassance as the rival, it turns out. And, um, 
and uh, Berlanti had to get online and specifically tweet, "No, that's a, that's a rumor. He's not. He's not Savitar. We haven't cast Savitar yet, so that's a mystery." It's really funny actually the amount of a Spartacus actors that end up in these shows. It's just, just yeah, it's just like musical vets, Spartacus actors, and half the cast of Prison Break. Yeah, they need to get. Do you know who they need to get as a as a villain in one of these shows? The, the guy that played Animaeus in Spartacus. The, yes, the yes. Uh, Peter Mensah, his, I loved him on Spartacus. He he, he, he really, really made that, that role. They need to get him on there somehow. You know, they, they've already had Manu Bennett and they could always bring Manu Bennett back because I, uh, I don't think he died. In- no, although Manu Bennett was less than enthusiastic about the, the direction his, the, that uh, his version of... Uh, Deathstroke took, so he's sort of estranged from them right now. Mm, and jumped over to Shinara Chronicles. Yeah. Um, but given how that, that first season panned out, I'm not sure if he'd be too enthusiastic about that either. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. That one, I, mean, I didn't watch that one, so... Yeah, I did. It was all right, but they, they kind of, you know, they kind of killed off the main character in the last episode. She <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. with the tree. So, um, but then again, you know, so I've never read the books, so I don't know what happens in the books. And it is based on a series of books, so we probably yeah. have characters coming and going. Yeah. And that was just probably one arc of one of the books sort of thing. But Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it's, um, it was an all right series. Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was great. It was okay. Uh. You know, it was probably a little bit better than Lucifer. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, so we've got Lucifer coming back, and basically, uh, we we as we know, he's basically gonna be going after his mom. Yes, yeah, who's played by Trisha Helfer. Um, yeah, and um, good luck to them. Um, They're kind of typecasting Trish Helfer there, aren't they? Really? Yeah, they really are. Um, it, it, it's hard because the the. Uh, the Battlestar Galactica role of number six made her career, but it's one, it's one of those roles where she's it's going to be dogging her for a while. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I mean, Battlestar Galactica made her career, but sort of thing, but it kind of ruined Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, it did. For, for people that were into the original series, yeah, and really wanted to see Richard Hatch's continuation and not the uh, re- reimagined version, but yeah, you win some, you lose some. Yeah. But they could do something completely different with the movie if they ever get it made. Yeah, they could. You know, so it's probably one of those franchises. Um, so we've got we've got stuff happening on Supergirl. We've got big crossover events. It's I've got a feeling it's going to be a huge season across all all three of those shows. Yeah, and and all of the shows are, are loading up on on new supporting and recurring characters. Um, more 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 of them than I can even name. Um, They've got more vigilantes coming on Arrow. They're going to be, um, and um, Ollie is going to have trouble balancing being mayor with being the Arrow. And uh, and Thea is actually going to be doing a lot of his mayoral stuff as his chief of staff mm-hmm. and, ca- and carrying the water for him because he's not actually doing the mayoral stuff. He's so busy being Green Arrow because he's shorthanded on the team and is going to be training new team members. And in the flashbacks, we're actually going to see so how, he, how, well, how he became a mem- member of the Bratva in, in Russia. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Dolph Lundgren is going to be on Arrow as one of the Bratva members. Uh-huh. So. I win for me. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, you know, basically, if we get hard up in season five, season six, they'll bring in um, 
Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, they they are kind of hard up. Arrow has lost a lot of momentum. Um, season three and the relationship arcs killed a lot of momentum for that show. Mm-hmm. And um, and they're apparently going to be backing away from that stuff and trying to get back to a season one, season two feel. How far they get with that is anyone's guess. Um, apart from the relationship stuff, I actually prefer the more fantastical elements and the magic. Um, I'm, I'm, I think for me personally, grounded superhero stuff is overrated and kind of a contradiction in terms. I don't watch these things for grounded realism. <laughs> so, um, you know, it kind whatever. Of- it kind of depends on what it is because with grounded superhero stuff, you can get away with supernatural things. Yeah. Um, and and that's really what makes it um, really is when they can bring supernatural villains in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And they've had to do that really to keep Arrow interesting. I mean, that's you know the one one redeeming thing in feature of last season was a uh, was was the D- villain. Damien Damien Dark rocked Neil McDonough is a god. Um, and I, I, I really liked Matt Nabel as, as a racial goal. They may have, there may have been fans who had trouble with his character, but that's only because of the writing and they had to deal with all the relationship crap. But his character in, in itself, apart from that, and Matt Nabel's performance really made that season for me. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, um, the relationship stuff with, um, I, I forget Fel- her name. Felicity, Felicity. Fe- yeah. Felicity, Felicity Smoke, or... Um, in the next season, she will develop a drink problem and they'll call her Felicity Sulk. Oh, God. What? Sorry, yeah. that's a bad pun there, but... <laughs> yeah. that's, that's the only way I can see her character going after after having so many troubled relationships with, um, with um, all these superheroes. Yeah, although next season they're going to thankfully have her deal with the aftermath of having to accidentally nuke that town to keep the town from... to keep the uh, nuked talent from getting any larger. Mm-hmm. Um, they're actually going to have her deal with the emotional fallout from that because they kind of touched on it toward the end, but they didn't really have time. Yeah, so. well, hopefully they don't spend the entire season on that. No. Um, otherwise, it, it'll get boring, and that's 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 a danger. In when once they fixate on these sort of, these sort of things, they tend to sort of like uh, milk it for all it's worth, and and it. it and gradually gets less and less interesting. Yeah, by the same token, the other extreme which I've seen is that they ignore it altogether. So they need they need to find a middle ground. Yeah, I mean, like like, like with that uh, when she became paralyzed last year. Yes. They they, yeah. they kind of like uh, she was paralyzed for what? All but about three, three episodes. Three episodes. It was three episodes. And I thought, you know, with that storyline, they they could have made it more interesting and had a paralyzed for a couple of seasons and, and kind of gone the Oracle route. Yeah, yeah. I My original plan when I heard that they were going to do this was to do a DC Musings column on it when the arc played out so that I could comment on it as a disabled person. But when I saw how it played out, I couldn't be bothered. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I saved some of that commentary for my review of uh, The Killing Joke when I did that. Speaking of which, I think that's probably, that's probably a good thing to discuss because I've actually seen it since... Ah, oh, yeah. Um, I've never, I've never actually read the source material. Um, I was coming at it from a the perspective of a newbie who is a woman in a wheelchair. Well, the source yeah. material starts with that conversation between Batman and the Joker in the prison cell. Mm, yeah, they, so, I, I, I heard that they added the prologue. The prologue actually made the film for me. Um, I found, I found the source material to be kind of pretentious. Um, 
and part of the problem with that was that it 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 was so seminal that everybody was copying it. So by the time I got around to what the original source material for that had been, um, it just it kind of lost its power for me. Well, in the eighties when it was released, it was quite it was quite a big deal. But here's a, here's a weird thing: Angan Moore. You know, you'll notice that Angan Moore's name wasn't on the film anywhere. Yeah, he's disowned. Yeah. He's disowned the King in Joke. He, he, he says it's probably the worst thing he's ever written. And he's song like, um, for, for quite a few years now, he's been distancing himself from it. I think I think that reaction is extreme. By this, by the same token, I can understand where it's coming from. It it wasn't necessary to do that. And and it, and here and here's the problem I have as a disabled person who who is not coming off of an injury, but who has a birth defect. And so this is a lifelong condition. My, I have two issues with it. One is that in the, in the source material without the prologue, Barbara Gordon has no agency, but then to top it off, they then retcon her, retcon the arc by giving her her legs back. And Mm -hmm. so my big issue as someone who actually has to live with this condition is the fact that they retconned it. They should have just left her as an oracle. She was fine. She had figured out a coping mechanism. She had a life. She had a strategy. She was doing whatever she was doing. And then they went and retconned it and basically disavowed millions of potential viewers and readers who whose lives were reflected in that storyline. Mm. And, um, and so I just, I, I had issues with it. Um, should they have done Killing Joke in the first place? No. But since they did do it, they needed to live with the consequences of it. And Oracle, Oracle was the consequence of that. And they needed to actually just deal yeah, I mean, it's kind of like that discussion we had on the um, on 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 the live stream show that we that we did earlier. Um, you know, DC constantly rebooting their their properties. I mean, they the only reason they were able to retcon uh, the whole thing with Batgirl was because they essentially rebooted Batgirl. Yeah, and, and that's that's basically odd was to it. Um, in terms of the King and Joke, the film. Um, I thought it was excellent. I actually, I mean, when, once you got past, once you got past the fact that the story was Crap. a bit, a bit pretentious and outdated, and just and just dealt with what they were presenting it as, um, I loved the fact that they got Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill to come in and do it for them. Yeah, but I, I kind of found the relationship between Batgirl and Batman kind of creepy. I didn't think there was yes, any need for but that. It was meant to be creepy, so I was okay with it. Mm. Yeah, so like, uh, I I just didn't think there was any need need for it. Um, there there was there wasn't. She was she was with Dick Grayson, and they should have just had her be with Dick Grayson. Yeah, I mean after after all, um, 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 a good bat girl loves a dick. Okay. Oh god. Sorry. Well, you know, so like the guy's called Dick Grayson. I mean, come on. Yeah. You know, yeah. So. Yeah. I know. I know. <laughs> Um, you know, like, uh, I think I think part of the problem with that storyline is it was basically narrative economy run amok. They only had you know enough money and enough time for X number of actors to come in, so they sort of had to like, just sort of eliminate Dick Grayson from the from the equation there. Well, he, he wasn't even in the King and Joke anyway, so it didn't really matter. Yeah. Um, and and I think uh, I think it's actually I think 
King and Joke actually takes place after um, Death in the Family, which is when they, which is when when they kill Robin. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, but they don't kill Dick Grayson, Robin, because obviously Dick Grayson went on to become Night Nightwing. They, they kill Jason Todd, Robin. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. But, I, I, but I think I think King and Joke's actually set after uh, mm. after yeah. Death in the Family. Yeah. Which obviously led on to the Red Hood and. But uh, basically, Kevin Conroy, Kevin Conroy, and Mark Hamill made the film for me. Um, they they were why it was worth watching. So. Ab- absolutely, especially uh, the Joker's vaudeville number. Oh God! And I, I read that the fans of the Killing Joke have been waiting years to see that on screen. So. <laughs> Okay, well, I think that's uh, as good a point to uh, end as any and uh, move on to the uh, interview, which is with uh, the fantastic Daniel Corey. Um, he's talking about uh, a comic book. He's, he's basically a, uh, a one-shot comic he's doing with Moriarty, um, a.k.a. Sherman Holmes' uh, arch-nemesis Moriarty. Um but basically, you know, he did, he did a couple, a couple of trade paperbacks a couple of years ago, um, where he explores Moriarty as as, as a character. I, I think I read the first one; it was quite because good. It, and, and and the second one was good too. But he's done a few, he's done a few one shots. But he's uh, he's done this, he's he's got this new one shot coming out pretty soon, and I think there's actually plans to take it further. But he's also, um, he's, you know, in the interview, he's also talking about some various virtual reality projects that he's got that he's got going on in conjunction with the various comic books that he's doing. So, cool. um, so it's really, I think it'll be a really interesting listen for people. Oh, there's one more piece of DC news that we should mention. Uh, uh, yes, Wonder Woman and Bionic Woman crossover. Yes. <laughs> How did I know he was going to mention that? I might actually, I might actually have to read that. I don't read a lot of comics; they're a problematic format for me. But that one, I might actually have to read. Yeah, I've got it. I, I, as soon as it comes up on pre-orders on Comicsology, I'm getting it. I'm going to subscribe to it. Yeah. Um, because I, I used to love Wonder Woman and the Bionic Woman. Yeah, I, I don't know if I, I don't know yet if I want to review it. I think I'll leave the reviews to you for that one, but Please I'm thanks. definitely going to read it. As if not got enough reviews already. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, on that note, we've got Wonder Woman and uh, the Bionic Woman uh, crossover. It's, it's a DC Comics and Dynamite Comics event. Um, and I think it's coming out in... January. January. Next year. I thought it said December. Wait a minute. December, you're right. December. I think it's December 17th, wasn't it? Something like that. Yeah. So now it's time for our interview with uh, Daniel Corey. It is the dawn of World War One, and Sherlock Holmes has been dead for 20 years. Professor James Moriarty is a lost man when he is approached by MI5 and blackmailed into finding Holmes' long-lost brother, Mycroft. What at first appears to be a routine case leads to a web of intrigue that involves a psychic box, a woman from his past, and a new villain that threatens to be greater than he ever was. Will he unravel this complex mystery and reclaim his former glory as the world's greatest criminal mastermind? Or will he fade into obscurity? Moriarty, the Dark Chamber. 
I'd like to welcome back a, a very special guest to uh, SFP now. We we had him on the show uh, a couple of years ago, back, um, and, you know, he's he's done some great comic book work. I'd like to welcome Daniel Corey back to the show. How are you doing? Good, good. Uh, thanks for having me on. Oh, you're more than welcome. I'm actually been kind of looking forward to this because it's so like uh, the last time we spoke, uh, mm-hmm. it was just prior to the release of your second Moriarty book, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's been a um, while. It's, it's been 2011, 2012, right? Yeah, it's, so, I think it was probably late 2011, early 2012. Yeah, because uh, Moriarty Volume 2 came out, uh, I believe, February of 2012. So, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, so it's been a little while. Yeah, and I actually moved house in um, April of 2012. Oh, awesome. <laughs> so, so, you, like, you like your gigs? <laughs> um, oh, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm on a waiting list to move out. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so well, it's, gone. It's, been, it's been a while. <laughs> the, the short, the short answer is no. <laughs> oh, I hear you. I hear you. Um, it's it's been like the hammer, hammer house of mystery and suspense. You know, oh. this, this this mud coming out of the wallpaper and and uh, and the taps, you know, drip mud. <laughs> Oh, nice! Oh, well, you gotta like that. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's not quite that bad. I'm over I'm over dramatizing, but it's it's not it's not brilliant. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, so like, um, so we had the second uh, Moriarty comic come out. Um, I think I ended up getting the trade for that, and um, I seem to remember it started in. It was was it in China again? Uh, I was in Burma. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, it was it Asia for sure. Yeah, it was yeah, in Asia. To, um, yeah, after the first volume, you know, Moriarty has kind of a, a comeback. You know, it's World War One, and Sherlock Holmes is gone, and you know he's lost everything, and then uh, he gets involved in a new adventure and has to kind of come back and become a great villain all over again and in volume two he's got to go to uh burma colonial which was you know under british colonial rule at the time of course and um you know he's got to seek out an old friend uh first you know to help him out with his uh his new conquests and he he meets a uh, an officer blair who is you know the, the man who would become george orwell um while in burma and gets gets involved in a whole you know science fiction mystery there in colonial burma yeah, I've got to read that again because it's so like um, it was 2012 when I when I actually last read it. So, and yeah. I, I just you know I just remembered it being so like in colonial China because uh, I, I remember quite a lot of the uh, striking visuals from 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 the book, and, that, and that's what sort of like uh, stuck in memory for me. Um, but you've got you've, you're working on a, a new short for Moriarty right now. It's um, yep. with with a uh, art by Janet Lee, but not the actress Janet Lee. Right, right, right. Even better, we have the artist Janet Lee. Uh, <laughs> now they're both great. But uh, yeah, we got the artist Janet Lee. Um, uh, you know, Janet's an Eisner winner, and <clears throat> excuse me, is best known for her work on Return of the Dapper Man, which is um, published by Arkea before they joined Arkea before they became Arkea Boom. But, um, yeah, she's out with Jim McCann, and uh, she's co- collaborated with Jim a lot. Um, and uh, she's done a lot of great work um, in addition to that. You know, she did some um, Jane Austen adaptations for Marvel. She did Emma and Northanger Abbey um, adaptations for them. Uh, she did uh, um, Las Vegas um, for uh, for Image with Jim. Wow. Um, yeah, and uh, it's been announced recently. Like, I, I got to see the original Comic Con. It was, it was she did a variant cover for uh, Deadpool. Um, they were doing Shakespearean takes on Deadpool. She did a Romeo and Juliet a cover of Deadpool for Marvel. So that's just an example of one thing she's doing right now. But yeah, she's really terrific. She's based in Nashville. 
um, you know, here. And, um, you know, we just, uh, we meet up at shows and hang out and we're, you know, I, I love working with her. She's just fantastic. Cool. She sounds really versatile. I mean, so like Jane Austen to Deadpool to, uh, to Moriarty, mm-hmm. that's sort of like, uh, that's channeling quite a lot of different, uh, visual styles. Yeah. Yeah. She, she has a very distinct, uh, way of working. And, uh, you know, she, so she gets called on a lot to do the, the, the Jane Austen and that type of work because she can, she's very good at rendering these kind of very, you know, regal, uh, you know, manners laden characters and whatnot. But, you know, she likes, she wants to do Deadpool. She, you know, she wants to do Moriarty and stuff like that more. And so she's getting opportunities lately to do that, so which makes her happy. But yeah, she's, uh, she's terrific. You know, this pages, I just throw it out here, the pages that she did for, Return of the Dapper Men, she did them on like um, slabs of wood. They were like relief, kind of raised uh, the art off the wood, you know. So each page was this like kind of two by four plank, like with beautifully rendered rendered art. Um, You know, she did that for her Dapper Men work, you know. So, yeah, she does some really extraordinary uh, stuff and she does things very differently than most comic artists. So, um, yeah, I'm very lucky to be working with her. Cool. I mean, it's like, um, it sounds like it's going to be going to be a great book again. Is Is this this is just a one shot, right? Yeah, we're just, uh, we're doing a one shot right now. Um, you know, she's she's really busy, but we wanted to do something together, and uh, so we're gonna do this and just kind of see see how it goes. You know, I mean, Anthony's still in the picture. Anthony loves working on Moriarty when he can. We did Moriarty Endgame last year um, with Image. Uh, it was a story that was released digitally. Um, so, you know, he's still around. So it's like whoever I can work with, that, you know, has some uh, time for Moriarty in their schedule. Mm-hmm. We'll jump in. But, um, yeah, um, you want me to tell you a little bit about the story that Jenna and I are doing? Yeah, that, that'd be cool. I mean, I, I have actually, um, I, I've, I, I caught a, a little glimpse of it in your press release. It Once again, mm-hmm. it's, set in, it's set in China again. Well, this one is in uh, Tokyo. Oh, yeah. Right. So they're up to like 1915 now. In my mind, I'm moving ahead the, the, the timeline to 1915. So he's, he's done a lot in 1914, so I figure we probably rolled over calendar years by this point. So um, he's already been to London and Burma within 1914. Now he's making his way up to Tokyo. It's probably 15 by now. But uh, yeah, it's 1915 Tokyo. He's meeting up with Jade again. And Jade was the ninja warrior that uh, that uh, you know that helped him out during uh, Moriarty Volume 1, The Dark yeah, Chamber. Yeah, I, I remember her. She, she was a cool character. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Um, Anthony did a really wonderful wonderful job designing her and um you know when we came around uh, to do this uh, one shot I, I mainly wanted to do a story to get jade back in the picture because she didn't appear in the second volume um but i, I always knew she was going to come back she's she's really kind of like she's the main second lead in 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 the moriarty um you know our our our, our moriarty oeuvre if, if you will uh, so I, I wanted to get her back in, and uh, you know when Janet says she wanted to work with me, I, fi- I figured let's let's do that Jade story that I, that I had uh, written, and uh, it's actually told from Jade's first person POV, so it's a, it's a bit of a departure from what we've done thus far in our ten issues of Moriarty. Now we got um, now we got Jade telling the story, but it uh, you know involves Moriarty heavily um, as they're on a, a case together in the 1915 Tokyo, and um, Janet does such a wonderful job. She's she's uh, very heavy into research search and uh, get into the details right you know so you'll see some very beautifully rendered uh, streets of Tokyo you see everybody's 
clothes, um, you know, very detailed and thoughtfully rendered out. And uh, with Jade herself, you know, we, she's made a few changes. She was asking, you know, what about her outfit, her hair? And, you know, I said, well, if you just run with that a little bit, maybe, uh, you know, you can try a few different hairdos. Maybe you'll do a few different outfits because, um, you know, she has her main kind of warrior costume that she wears through most of Moriarty Volume 1. She changes into civilian clothes a few times. But now we're in Tokyo. It's like she's kind of undercover for most of our story. So I'm like, well, she'll be wearing civilian garb through most of the story, but it's not going to be London-based garb. It's going to be Tokyo. She's going to be wearing her native clothing. So I let Janet kind of run with that. She's come up with some very good, very sensible solutions um, for Jade's overall look. And Moriarty, you know, basically, he's the same. He always is kind of that Victorian gent, but he's in 1915, but he's stuck in Victorian times still mm-hmm. with his ribbon tie and, uh, and whatnot. So. Yeah, it's... Um... You know, one one things I that I that I really enjoyed about the uh, about the previous books, um, you know, other than the story and the art, is is this tendency that you have to to sort of like uh, be very meta from that actual period. Like for example, mm-hmm. the second issue you, you just talked about before, um, you know, he had a a character that was revealed to be George Orwell yeah. in there. Um, have you got any of that stuff going on in 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 the new book, or is it? Or, are uh, you saving that for the bigger ones? Yeah, there's there's uh, you know uh, rather obscure historical event that takes place in in this uh, in this new comic. Um, by the way, I think I don't think I've said the title yet. The title of the new comic that I'm doing with Janet is called Moriarty the Jade Serpent, because that's Jade's full, like, you know, um, nom de guerre, if you will, uh, which she operates under, the Jade Serpent. Um, but yeah, there, um, there's actually, a, 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 I did some research on Tokyo. There's, they, they go to, uh, they're, they're investigating the murder of a politician. Like mm-hmm. Jade's, uh, kind of come back to Tokyo. She's taking revenge on some of the men that were her quote superiors that were, uh, you know, bossing her around and making her do jobs. She didn't want to do, making her live a life the way she didn't want to live it. And so she's taken out a lot of guys, but she's kind of getting caught up in the political uh, system again. And uh, that's why she has to kind of bring in Moriarty to help her solve this case. She could do it herself, but she needs to bring in this Westerner, you know, to uh, to keep everybody happy uh, at some point here. But then, um, but uh, yeah, so they, they have to go to kind of a, a CD part of town, kind of a red light district in Tokyo. And it's based on an actual location. And um, there's some events that occur in the book that occur in actual history in the same year um, that uh, it occurs in our story. It, it kind of turned out to be a nice, uh, it turned out to be a nice coincidence that some things I wanted to happen actually happened in that area um, at the time. I don't want to give it away, but there's some stuff dealing with the climax of the story. Cool. Um, so yeah, if you, if you do a little detailed study of of, um, of Tokyo during World War One era, you'll find some events uh, that. Uh, yeah, happen in our story as well. That, that mirror actual history. That that sounds very very cool. I mean, I, I like that sort of thing because I'm kind of like uh, I'm I'm a bit of a geek like that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but you know, you've, you've also um, you've released the uh, first two volumes of Moriarty in in a big in a big um, in a big hardback book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That that um, I'm so like uh, I was I was shopping around on Amazon earlier on and I picked myself a copy up. You know, oh, because, thank you. <laughs> um, I I'm actually I'm actually having a clear out at the moment of a lot of old comics and stuff, and I'm just sort of mm-hmm. like substituting connections of stuff that I bought with, yeah, with yeah. graphic novels, because obviously they take up a little bit less space. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. I've been doing that. 
Um, so, you know, for anyone, you know, I'd, I'd say for anyone that's not tried Moriarty, that's actually listening to this now, you know, so like, uh, they've, they've got to go out and get it because uh, it's really mm-hmm. a lot of fun, um, you. you know, for me. I, are you actually aware of Titan Comics, actually? They've just started releasing um, something called Mycroft Homes. It's sort of like mm-hmm. it's based, based on a novel. I'm just wondering if you're familiar with that. Yeah, now, um, if I'm not mistaken, now, uh, you know, NBA superstar Kareem Abdul-Jabbar wrote those novels. That's the one, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, they uh, had announced that. I was at the American Library Association show in San Francisco last year, um, just a little over a year from, from, from ago now. Um, and he was there to speak. And, uh, yeah, he had written uh, – he had written. yeah, I think they were t- most uh, first uh, talking about the release of his first novel there. And then uh, they, I guess it was around maybe the end of last year maybe or fairly recently they announced the comic book adaptation. Um, but, um, but, yeah, yeah, it's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you know, is an NBA legend, uh, actor who appeared in uh, – uh, uh, with, with Bruce Lee – uh, in, in a film, and the name is escaping me, but uh, oh, wow. Game of Death. He appeared in, I think it was, yeah, he appeared in Game of Death with Bruce Lee. He was NBA superstar, and now uh, a Sherlock Holmes mythology uh, writer. So, you know, I think that's just brilliant. Uh, just life is wonderful, you know, <laughs> knowing mm. that this kind of things can happen. Um, and knowing that Kareem Abdul Jabbar and I have something kind of big in common. <laughs> you know, we've both written. Um, you know, glorified Sherlock Holmes fanfic, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you, you never know. You know, maybe in a parallel dimension, you you appeared in a movie with Bruce Lee and, and was a top basketball player. <laughs> I like thinking that. I like, I like that. You know, I, I've seen I've seen Mr. Jabbar in real life, and he is really tall. I mean, he is like two feet taller than me. So, in that parallel universe, I would probably need some of his height. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, you're pretty tall. And I was watching an interview with you um, on on YouTube with a with, with a lady, and and then with a with another lady, and you you saw them <laughs> like twice as tall as they were. <laughs> oh, I think they were probably pretty short. <laughs> um, I'm just under six foot. You know, yeah. I, I think he's probably Mr. Jabbar is probably the seven, seven foot two. I don't know. He's really tall. Holy <laughs> crap! Yeah, he's a, he's a tall man. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's terrific that they're that he's doing that and that that's coming out. And anything that kind of keeps the, the mythos going, you know, is, is really nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, I like it that um, you know we got two Americans right now, me and him, are, that are. Uh, that are, uh, you know, uh, voices in this uh, in this uh, Sherlock Holmes craze that's going right now. And so. then we've got Elementary on, uh, is it CBS? Yeah, yeah, so we've got the American yeah. version of that. And we have an American playing our our, uh, our uh, current kind of big screen Sherlock Holmes, Robert Downey Jr. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, I, think, I think maybe we're just kind of coming back a little bit from you guys taking all of our parts in our movies, <laughs> playing uh, Abraham Lincoln and whatnot, you know, playing our president. So. True, but, um, you know, the thing is... Uh, is it's Robert Downey Jr., right? Mm-hmm. He, yeah. he he does a wicked British accent. I gotta tell you because I I I remember. Like, it's really good. Yeah, I, I think he's really good. I remember seeing him the first time when he did it when he when he uh, was in Chaplin, and that's mm-hmm. going way way back. That's going nineties. Yeah. Um, and really, he should have won an award for that film. You know, for Chaplin. Yeah, yeah. He he was robbed. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I was nominated for that, but yeah, I know what you mean. Well, it's good to hear that, you know, because it sounds it sounds good to me, but you know, I was wondering if it sounded authentic to the native speakers. But it's it's nice, that's good to hear. Yeah, it, it sounded kind of BBC back mm-hmm. in the day, sort of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Before the BBC started inviting in regional accents, he, he was basically just using uh, 
you know what 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 they call here in the UK acting trade uh, received pronunciation. So it was oh. kind of like it was kind of like he was doing British, but in in received pronunciation, which is you know basically uh, acting code for very posh. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I wasn't aware of that. Um, that kind of a speaking. That's interesting. That's interesting. I have to research that a little bit. Yeah, I, I things trained... like that. I'm always interested in researching for for my writing and you know to reflect the voice styles and whatnot in the in the words. Yeah, I trained for a few years in theatre, so that's how I know. Um, they tried to get me to speak that way, but it never quite worked out. <laughs> oh, I got you. Um, but you know, it's um, it, it's 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 a, it's a very old it's a very old thing where they 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 sort of like uh, teach actors you know diction and and um, you know way to to enunciate uh, things so that the mm. that your vowels uh, you know are kind of softer or harder for cert, certain mm. words and stuff like that. It's, um, it's it's very complex. Um, have you ever seen the movie My Fair Lady? Oh, certainly, yeah, yeah, it's, absolutely. It's kind of that. <laughs> Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> it's, it's kind of way, the way Professor Doing it or, or or whatever his name is in the film, I can't remember, uh, teaches yeah, right. yeah. uh, Audrey Hepburn to, to, to speak. Was it Audrey Hepburn? It was, wasn't it? Yeah, Audrey Hepburn, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but, you know, the last time we spoke, you you know, you there, there was talk about Moriarty going, being made into a, a theatrical play. Is that still mm-hmm. happening or is it sort of like being put on a back burner? Well, that that went back burner for a little while. Um, you know, working with Ray Schnur, we both just got so busy. I know, like Ray had a baby, and um, you know, he and his wife uh, were very busy with that. And um, I, I, you know, I got to working on some of my other projects, like Red City and whatnot. But um, we've actually got back together recently to talk about it some more. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that we'll have uh, a few songs to be to be able to show, uh, you know, for perhaps later this year to kind of get things kicked off. So, um, yeah, we're talking about building it kind of piecemeal. It's you know, like I have a I have a script all outlined. I have like a 75 page outline for the script, you know, so it's like very close to a realized book for the play, um, you know, and, and it, it could use a lot more refining and changing and, and editing and whatnot. But um the, the actual shape of the play is is there, um, you know, it's just a matter of uh, you know, starting to get some of the songs in shape and kind of building the book around, continuing to build the book around that. Um, but, uh, yeah, we have been talking about that. Cool. Lately, oh, I'm hope to um, I'm hoping to, to hopefully get that off the ground and maybe workshop that sometime within the near future. We'll see. Mm-hmm. I'll keep you posted. You'll be the first to know. <laughs> you're, you're the most interested. So. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, so like um, it's kind of funny because last time I spoke to you is with with a uh, Wayne Hawk who's who's doing his own thing now. Uh, and uh, privately, when when Wayne and I were off the air, Wayne was saying. You should do it, man. You should go go up for the part of Moriarty. You should do it. You, 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 you know, so he, he liked the way you were saying your saying the lines and stuff like that. <laughs> Ringy. Well, when you know, you never know. When we get to uh, you know licensing out for regional theaters and whatnot, and uh, you know there'll there'll be a lot of, a lot of opportunities. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know, when it comes over there, so. Yeah, well, I've kind of moved on from the acting thing now. I've actually been for the past four years. I've been training as a musician, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so oh that's, well, there you go. That, that works out. So that's something. Yeah, so you're like, but... talking about doing a musical play, so you never know. <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, to have any need for a for a guitarist with about four years' experience, that's good. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we might need a few more than that, but that's okay. <laughs> well, I know a few of us. 
Yeah, I, I, I jam quite regularly, so I've gotten to know a few people. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, but yeah, that's no, so like the, the play. And you, is there any other sort like interactive plans for it, such as video games or animation stuff like that? Can, can you see that as a possibility in the future? Yeah, actually, um, I'm working on a project right now, collaborating with the um, virtual reality company um, called Transmedia Entertainment, based in Sydney, Australia. Um, and we're doing um, a virtual reality adaptation of, of Moriarty, the comic. We're actually creating a VR comic book. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, we just, um, this past weekend, they were here in Los Angeles for the VRLA show, and I was at their booth with them the whole weekend, um, helping them uh, demo everything. And they had, a, um, they had like, they, 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 they put together um, a, a nice demo for, like, the, uh, the mobile version for, like, cardboard viewers um, for VR mm-hmm. uh, back in April uh, when WonderCon was in town. So they put that together. They, they ported it over to my, my phone, and I was able to um, show people in the cardboard viewer the, the beginning stages of the uh, Moriarty virtual reality comic book. And now that VR LA, they've had a few months of VR LA has come around, they ported it over to the HTC Vive. And so um, mm-hmm. I was able to get on to, to the HTC Vive and stand within the world of Moriarty and like super high resolution. Wow. Uh, and it's just beautiful. So what they're doing is they're taking a story that Anthony and I did last year called Moriarty Endgame. And that was kind of a, um, I mean, everything about Moriarty that we do is speculative because we're taking you know this wonderful public domain character and uh you know and creating our own stories with it but this is speculative on top of speculative because it's way outside of the canon of what we've we've done with our previous stories in that we've taken the professor into the distant future and he's fighting a world war with sherlock holmes they have mechanized armies you know um meeting meeting up in uh in london and uh battling it out and so we start off on the deck of moriarty's airship with his crew and jade's there and sebastian moran are there is there and um, anyway, so this uh, this VR experience gives you the idea, the feeling of standing inside a comic panel, okay. and that's what I told the transmedia guys I wanted to do. I wanted to I wanted the re- the comic book readers to have the, the the sensation and the fun of being inside individual comic panels. So um, you put the vibe on. You're in a 360 degree environment. You're outside. The first page of the story is you're outside Moriarty's airship hovering over London. So you can see the airship in front of you. You can see the engines of the smoke coming out. And the text is there, just like it is in the comic, floating in the air. And um, as we get further along, we're gonna what we're gonna do is be able to blow the text up big, so we can read it easily, and also trigger voiceover. Uh, there's gonna be ambient music and sound. And um, and when you're done with a, a panel, you just click ahead, and you go, and everything fades down and fades back up, and there you are inside the next panel. Damn, that um, sounds cool. Panel to panel, yeah, that way, and it's um it's pretty amazing. So it's it's a virtual reality comic book, and uh, I um you know. I could I can say with a, a good degree of certainty that Anthony and I did the first Moriarty comic book as far as Moriarty being the leading man and a title character. Anthony and Dave and I did that at Image Comics. Uh, we put out the first Moriarty as leading man graphic novel comic book series ever, I'm pretty sure. And this time we're taking that same character and we're doing the, the one of the first virtual reality comic books. I don't know of any other virtual reality comic books. There's probably somebody working on one somewhere. There might have been one that I don't know about. So I'll just say one of the first, but it's just kind of nice that we're able to help the professor conquer new mediums like this, you know, here in the, here in 2016. It uh, feels really good. I mean, it's what Holmes and he would have been doing anyway, you know, yeah. you know if, if they're left to their own devices, because that's, 
that's one of the wonderful things about those characters. Um, yeah. You know, although they were set in Victorian London, there they, they were, they were streets ahead of everyone else in terms of the technology mm-hmm. that they were utilising. And, yeah. um, you know, um, even Holmes to the point of using forensic science when forensic yeah. science was in its infancy. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, yeah. it's it's one of those, uh, you know, those fun aspects. Um, so that's on the vibe. Um, do you think it might end up parted over to the PlayStation VR thing that they've got coming out as well? They're hoping for that. That'd be They're cool. aiming for the initial release to be um, for iOS and Samsung Gear VR, as well as HTC Vive. And then they, they want to do an Oculus version as well. And then hoping for the PlayStation, you know, that's something we want to do. They um, That's all very new, uh, even newer than everything else, the PlayStation and, and how, and you know, um, they have certain guidelines, uh, you know, we're, 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 we're thinking about gamifying it somewhat uh, for uh, a possible PlayStation release, mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah, that's that's in the, the very kind of distant work right works right now. So, you know, hopefully maybe a year from now or in the next year, all this will be out on all of these platforms. We'll see. Okay. So, well, we, we talked quite a bit about Moriarty, but you've, you've actually got quite a few other things that have been, been going on, such as um, Bullworth, which was a big Kickstarter that you managed to get mm-hmm. funded. Uh, could yeah. you maybe uh, give us a bit of insight about that? So I believe that you you know you've you've also been experimenting with sort of various uh, you know technological things for that as well. I have. That's right. Uh, yeah. So the new comic, it's like my latest comic, is called Bloodworth. And Bloodworth, um, sorry. <laughs> yeah. And uh, oh, that's all right. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's called Bloodworth. It's named after the the lead character Brenda Bloodworth, special agent Brenda Bloodworth. She's an FBI agent that leads a squad in the not so distant future that can enter people's memories to solve crimes. Uh, so it's a bit of a you know Philip K. Dick style dystopian minority future report. With technology. Yeah, Minority Report, Total Recall, or um, pretty pretty good comparisons. Um, but kind of at at its heart, despite the technology, it's really kind of a classic American hard-boiled crime saga. You know, she's a hard-boiled de- detective with her, with her angst, with, uh, things going on in her life, she's some drinking problems, you know, she's got a lot of issues and stuff, and she just kind of works out on the job, you know. So uh, she's she's a troubled mind, a troubled heart. Uh, but, uh, you know, at the core of it, she's a, a good person that wants to solve the crimes and, and beat the bad guys. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's the story. Now, I've been working on that really story-wise for about three years now uh took a while to figure out what i wanted to do with it what i want to do with the character how to form the story it took quite a while to form and write the story and then once that came about like we did uh, um i got i got together with artist chris finolio um to do the comic um chris uh, was an artist that I met at Image Expo in 2012. It was actually the, like the same week that Moriarty Volume 2 came out in February of 2012. Um, and uh, Chris is a great artist. And so I ended up pulling him in on my, my next image project, which was called Red City. Mm-hmm. And he did the color for that. And um, you know, Red City was about cops on Mars. And we had a, a good time doing that. And working with Chris was really amazing. So I wanted to get him on Bloodworth. So, um, so yeah, so first we did like a 10 page short story that kind of introduced the world. It's kind of our zero issue, you know, and I, I released that on Comixology, um, on in September of, 
2015. So that's like a 99 cent download on Comixology. And then um, I wanted to do a full first issue. I mean, we're going to do four issues total, but so so far we've done the first issue. Um, we kickstarted that back in April mm-hmm. and um, started working on that. We just recently finished the first issue, and I've just recently gotten everybody's print copies back, and they're all stacked up and organized in my living room right now, ready to go out sometime, hopefully this week, maybe next, <laughs> in the mail. You so must have a very understanding copies. wife. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah. She's she's like, yeah. she's, she's a trooper, <laughs> but uh, but um, but but yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody's gotten their downloadable um, versions of the comic, but they're going to be getting their print uh, copies really soon. And uh, then we got to move on and, and uh, do a number, uh, you know, do number two uh, Kickstarter pretty soon, so we can try to keep momentum going. Yeah. But yeah, that's the latest project, and I've done um, yeah some augmented reality content with that. So I got the idea for that just by the story itself. They're going into people's memories to look at what people saw to find clues that they've missed, and uh, it's kind of a virtual reality experience that takes place within the story so I thought well I want to do something like that so I came upon it to do augmented reality because I wanted it to be married to the actual page the physical page that you're reading uh, so I, I, I met up with a company called Blipper they're based in Netherlands they have offices um, throughout the world including here in Los Angeles but uh, I originally um, you know, met up with the, the people on Skype that work in the Netherlands and we, and we talked and uh, they really liked what I was doing um, so I got in, on, got in on the like the beta test for the, the Blip Builder tools um, that they're using and um, and, and and created a lot of content, uh, you know, create some content for Bloodworth. So when you scan the cover of Bloodworth with the, the Blipper app on your phone, it brings up um, like a kind of a menu. It's like a DVD menu kind of wow. where you can read the comic um, within there. You can watch a trailer. You can t- take a selfie with Agent Bloodworth. Um, <laughs> you can link to my other comics. So, but yeah, and I want to do more with that. So Yeah, it sounds, sounds like you're really embracing the different technology that's available to you. Yeah, it's, is... it's, um, it's good that, uh, you know, these things have, uh, it's really a blessing that these things have opened up and become available to me as far as being able, being able to, 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 to use the Blipper app um, and to be able to uh, talk to Transmedia Entertainment and have them develop the VR because, um, you know, that's kind of where I want to, I want to be ahead, uh, kind of, if I can, and doing things that other people aren't, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, there's, there's probably some other people doing stuff what I'm doing, but I haven't met them yet, <laughs> you know, as far as the VR and the AR with the comic books. Yeah, Marvel and DC certainly aren't. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I can imagine it's coming sometime kind of soon. You know, I know like, uh, you know, there's like the Batman VR that's going to be on the PS4, but that's a whole blown out big game. You know, that's a different thing, you know, but as far as like, uh, you know, and that reimagining comic, comic books in the 3D VR format, uh, it's not yet. Yeah, it's not something they've done yet. I wouldn't be surprised if we see it sometime before too long, though. Mm-hmm. But uh, we'll see. You know, VR is definitely coming. It's uh, It's been coming for a long time, but it's uh, it's getting closer now. It's coming into people's homes. So it's probably, yeah. you know, it's probably good that you are thinking ahead. Um, I mean, I think the PlayStation VR is coming out towards the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. it's kind of on the expensive side. So I'm probably going to wait for it to perhaps drop in price a little bit before I go for it. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. What's <laughs> and, it retailing for? I don't even know. Well, I think I think they're talking somewhere in the region about three hundred pounds here in the UK. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, that's pretty pricey. I mean that'd yeah. probably end up being about five hundred, five fifty here probably. It'll probably end up being about the same there as mm-hmm. it is in pounds here, sort of thing. Oh, okay. Uh, usually, yeah, usually years away. <laughs> yeah, I've I, and I've had a chance to sample that um, both at E three and at Comic Con, and you know, yeah, it's 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 pretty cool. It's pretty amazing what they're doing on a home system like that. You know, mm-hmm. even even for that price point, you know, 
which is, you know, it's big for a game system, but it's really not big considering for the full immersive VR that you get from it, you know? Yeah, I mean, what, I, what I'm so like a bit worried about is uh, that they're talking about uh, releasing another version of PlayStation 4, which is slightly slightly upgraded, um, so mm-hmm. so so it could you know actually run the VR stuff better. Although, though the, the the classic one runs it anyway. So mm-hmm. you know I don't know when I'm, I don't know when I'm going to go go the whole hog and get a new, new PS4. I might just get the VR thing if if I do mm-hmm. go for it. Um, if if, oh, if, okay. if I if I at all have time for it amongst all the guitar practice and stuff other stuff that I do. <laughs> right, right, right. It's, well, it's time for video games now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, so, yeah. I didn't know you could upgrade your current system to VR, though. That's interesting. Yeah, it's, it's basically it's a, the, the VR the VR headset is supposed to plug into your PlayStation Four, oh, so, okay, so okay. it plugs into the existing to the existing unit, um, supposedly. But um, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> We'll see yeah. what happens. Um, but, you know, um, another comic you talked about was Red City. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about that? Because that's actually, um, you should have a trade of that now from Image, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trade's available. Uh, Red City Volume 1's available. So um, that was, uh, yeah, L.A. Confidential on Mars story that I did. I wanted to do... I wanted to do cops in space, so mm-hmm. um, that's that's what I did. So um, I worked with um, uh, with a good team on that, and uh, worked with Anthony again from uh, from Moriarty, um, Chris Finolio, Dave Lanfear, um, Image Comics, and um, and uh, yeah. So um, again, it's like a Raymond Chandler style hero. Um, I created this kind of idea that uh, way in the distant future, probably 500 years from now, that the, the solar system, uh, well, the solar system has been populated by aliens all this time, kind of a Ray Bradbury style thing. There's uh-huh. Venusians on Venus, Martians on Mars, whatnot. And at some point in all this time, they've uh, kind of come together and figured out how to have a common language and common atmosphere, and they've created a common government um, so that all the whole um, you know solar system kind of tries to operate as one country. Um, and they've recently had a, a, a civil war where a few of the planets had tried to secede and it caused a, a economic strife and there was a war and our hero has kind of come out of that and um, you know he has some PTSD and now he's kind of working for the uh, the interplanetary equivalent of the FBI so the um, the country you know as they define now it's called the new solar system the NSS so he's NSS special agent Cal Talmadge cool. and um, yeah and there's a, there, a new war is threatening to break out because of uh, you know some persecution of uh, refugees and some economic disparities whatnot um, and there's a big uh, treaty talk taking place on the surface of Mars in the central city there so and an ambassador's daughter has gone missing and Cal is sent down to uh, to find her and of course a uh, you know a huge conspiracy erupts and he's kind of you know kind of an unlikely hero but he has to kind of you know kind of come up to the task and uh, you know by the end of it he's going to be working to hopefully prevent a war and, and save millions of lives or not you know he has to see if he's up, he's got the stuff mm-hmm. um, you know so yeah so it was kind of a cool way to create a giant world but create kind of a small six relatively small situation within it that has that had a huge impact on on the whole history of my of my whole system that we mm-hmm. created um you know so yeah so that's red city red city is the mars central city and it's kind of a disreputable place it's kind of hollywood meets las vegas it's, it's the, the 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 big the big place that people go to uh for vacations touristy it's also kind of sleazy and you know it's, it's the center for for movies for gambling for you know everything in, in the solar system mm-hmm. uh, but then hollywood's rock fallen rock. off in prominence <laughs> and uh mars central city's taken over mm-hmm. yeah i mean it sounds like you're drawing a 
of interesting parallels, you know, such as the, uh, you know, all the aliens coming together to form something like one, one, one sort of country. It sounds a little bit like the EU, um, yeah. and um, the civil wars. It sounds a little bit like Brexit. <laughs> yeah, so it's timely now. <laughs> yeah, and and, and this now. and this was about a year ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't see. I, I can't say that I forecasted the the Brexit thing. I can't say it that that, mm. that I did. But you know, stuff like that happens in the world, and so that's you know, we programmed it in the story to kind of like be identifiable. Mm. And uh, yeah, so now it's you know, looking at it, it's yeah, looking back at it now, it's just it's a little timely for now. Yeah, I mean, it's all like um, you know. I can't say that I would have predicted a predicted a Brexit this time last year, mm, you know, goodness. because um, <laughs> it wasn't even on the well. Basically, he said he was going to have the referendum, and uh, they they had the referendum. They kind of rushed it through, and um, and you know, from my point of view, and you know, I'm not sure what's going to happen now. <laughs> Right. Um, but all I will say is, um, you know, I I didn't vote for it. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I I, um, I voted to remain. Yeah. So I, I'm sort of like um, I'm I'm a bit I'm a bit uh, cut up because I didn't get my way. To be quite honest, I was a bit, you know. Mm-hmm. But you know, it, you mm-hmm. know, the the thing is, the world will go on regardless. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, yeah. it's kind of hard to predict what's going to happen, and uh, and to be honest, it's you to change. The, yeah. the the EU was the EU's kind of falling apart anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, you know, regardless of whether the vote would have been to remain or whether to go, uh, the EU still would have been falling apart, and um, you know, mm-hmm. it still still would have had to have been sort of like pretty pretty big changes mm-hmm. uh, to, to 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 make it functional again. Yeah, it's, um, it's nuts. Do you have anything uh, else happening that you want to talk about? Um, any any uh, new pro other new projects that you've got got on the horizon? You know, I think we've we've pretty much covered like what I what I have uh, going right now. I mean, I other than this, I have other stuff on the horizon that I'd like to do, but it's not going to be until next year. Ah, right. Um, you know, some other comics that I'd like to do and whatnot. Bloodworth is such a big project now as far as getting the money together for that with the Kickstarters. Um, I'm sure I'm still going to be hopefully just finishing that up about a year from now to, to mm-hmm. get to my fourth issue. You know, um, it's it's uh, taking, you know, even longer than I thought it was just to produce the comic, but also just to be able to get everybody's rewards together and created and mailed out is, is proving to be a very daunting task. I'm doing everything myself. You know, I'm not drawing it myself. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's something I'm not doing. Uh, Chris is Chris is taking care of that, but um, but uh, yeah, it's a daunting task, and uh, you know, in addition to trying to also generate new material and manage the other projects that I got going on, with, what with the Moriarty VR and uh, and whatnot. So yeah, it's a lot of things to do uh, once, and uh, it would be nice to have an office, uh, you know, full of people helping me with all this, but uh, that's not the reality yet. Mm, amen <laughs> so, to that. I mean, I'd, I'd love to have an I'd love to have an office of people. Uh, Helping me with news stories for Sci-Fi Pulse, so I could just, you know, talk on the phone all day. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, um, it'll happen eventually. I, th- I think I think we just got to be optimists here. That's right. <laughs> you know, you know, in about twenty years' time, Sci-Fi Pulse will be operating from the from the uh, hungled outside of an active volcano, and I'll be <laughs> I'll be sat on a throne with a white cat. There you go. I like the sound of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, Daniel, thanks, thanks for coming on the show. It's been great having you on. Thanks for having me. 
everybody, this is Daniel Corey, writer of Image Comics Moriarty and Red City and Danger Cats Ludworth, and you are listening to SFP Now. Okay, hope you enjoyed the show. That's about all the time we've got for this week. Um, we'll be back again real soon. Um, if you get stuck for uh, more genre, genre entertainment and uh, discussion, there's um, Genre Entertainment, which you can also find at sci-fi-pulse-radio.com. But that's it for now. Bye.